this week on the Emmaus Institute for Disciple Making Podcast. Ben and Lana Toller will be continuing their series called Worshiping in Spirit and Truth by explaining how seeing the overarching storyline of a worship gathering helps the individual worship more deeply in spirit and in truth. All right, so tonight's night two. Five, tackling storyline and the worshiper. Um, at first glance, that might seem kind of like two unrelated things. Um, so hopefully, we're gonna have a lot of moments where we're going to plug this into what this really looks like in worship, and how this is useful for every church member as they walk into a worship service. How knowing the storyline can help you worship more deeply in spirit or in truth. And I think we left you with that question last week, right? Which do you lean more towards, spirit or truth? So can I get a quick poll to start? How many of you, when you go into worship, your first reaction is to lean into the study, the truth, the head space, rather than the emotion? How many of you, if you feel like that's your bent? Okay. And the rest of you are more spirit, more emotion connected? So most of us, it looks like, are on the... The knowledge side of things right. as opposed to the passion, right? It's, it's hard to say we're yeah. on the truth side of things because that sounds, <laughs> that's sounds a little pretentious. <laughs> it's true, it's true. So, <laughs> but the head, are you right? right? The head center. <laughs> right, exactly. Oh, yes. <laughs> what do you feel good? <laughs> yeah. So as we jump in, um, know that all of this is in pursuit of helping you tap into the other side that you maybe don't naturally lean towards, okay? So we're going to start off just quick, quick recap. Maybe, maybe not. There you go. <laughs> Quick recap of last week, but here's where we're going tonight. Um, so we're going to recap quickly the messages that we talked about corporate worship from last week. Then kind of where we're moving with storyline first is understanding a story, understanding a narrative, and we're talking about in a congregational service. We'll talk all about that. Then we're going to talk about using or utilizing that narrative story in worship what that looks like practically. There's going to be lots of interactive bits here where we ask you what you think about this song and this thing. And then lastly, course correcting our worship journey. Again, knowing ourselves where we lean more towards spirit. Maybe we need to course correct more towards truth and really all the implications. Or vice versa. Or vice versa, exactly. So hopefully tonight is really, really practical. We're really excited as we're preparing for this. All of the practical applications that come with it. So quick, quick, quick recap from last week. Um, we talked about what worship is in depth. <laughs> and then we jumped into kind of these three key things that keep coming up. Um, as we know, this whole idea of going into worship service is not a one-sided thing, right? We agree that we're getting a message, we're receiving a message, but we know, as we've said from the course at the beginning, we want to help move us from consumer to active worshiper, right? From being passive to being active. So knowing that, we have to always be looking at the heart, the intention behind the corporate worship. And those three themes that we kind of kept seeing that are both vertical and worship, or <laughs> vertical and horizontal, are adoration, right? We're adoring God. We're talking about the character of God, what he's done in our lives, um, how he's revealed to scripture and in our lives. We're talking about sanctification, how hearing his word and hearing about his character reminds me how I'm not like him, right? He's faithful, I'm not faithful. And then we look at edification as another key intention that comes through with worship, which is building each other up. It's not just me having my conversation with God. It's me also having conversations with the people around me about God, to God, lots of messages going back and forth. 
and then how this comes to be the execution of worship. And this is where our cornerstone really is, is in this passage. I'm going to read this for you real quick and try to tap into the story if you've heard it before. This is the woman at the well. So starting in John 4, verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. She's just shocked talking with him with all these things that he tells her about her life, that he knows about her. And she says, Our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. And here's the verse that really is the the tipping point for us, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father. How? In spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So this is not only we want to worship in spirit and truth, this is literally what the Bible says God wants from his worshipers. Spirit and truth. It's pretty clear, right? God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, in head and heart. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to, you, said to her, I who speak to you am he. So it's this incredible um, moment at the well where she is just overtaken by how much he knows about her life. And then he just reveals all these incredible things about who he is, what worship means. It's such a helpful passage, I think, for us that kind of shapes the conversation. Go just back. sort of like tagging yeah. into that. I, I love the fact that this this passage also, we talk about the spirit and the truth thing um, sort of as a, again, we were just talking about it as a, uh, as like a, a guide, like how, how mm. we're supposed to execute worship, how we're supposed to be involved in it. We're supposed to involve both our, our minds and our heart or, and our hearts. The, the idea of um, <coughs> don't be conformed to this world, but be, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That, that idea, like it's, it's a, it's a seeing, it's a changing of the mind and mm -hmm. then it's an execution and a working, working through. But what's really beautiful about this passage to me is that he says, um, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem you will worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. On some level, he's pointing out what he's about to say needs to come together. Mm -hmm. You don't worship out of knowledge. On some level, you're worshiping out of that spirit, that intangible mm -hmm. side. right? And then he says, but we worship what we know. Salvation is of the Jews. We have this very strict, like, theology and all of this stuff that goes into it but then but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth mm -hmm. so it's not it's it's yes it's a primer yes it's like an execution kind of thing like this is how we're supposed to do worship mm -hmm. but it's also the who of worship like who is supposed mm -hmm. to do this everybody yeah like i've some of you some of you worship out of the desire you're looking for something you're seeking for something some of you have it but have no heart change and, the, and like it's just this universal call to worship which yeah. is just beautiful and exactly wonderful. wherever you are align with this exactly he's including all peoples in that yes i love it um Ooh, did i just like jump way no, no you didn't you're right okay so and then part c there just wrapping recapping recapping and wrapping Okay, um, is the communication of worship, of messages of corporate worship. Um, so remember, this is between God, individual believers, and all the church at all the same time, right? All these different arrows, different directions. 
We should be communicating and responding at all times in corporate worship. It is not the worst, just the worship leader's job. And again, we're moving from consumer to worshiper, to an active, passive to active. So as we go in, we are going in as students. We're not going in as just passive, let me receive, let me consume. Like we scroll through social media, just uh, uh, consume, consume. We, are, we have to be on alert and be ready as we walk into a church service to be ready to be searching for, as we're talking about today, a storyline. Um, number three, communication should be clear and specific even when we're using figurative language. And we'll talk about how to understand that. Four, communication and corporate worship should be motivational, right? There's got to be reason and passion behind it. And then the spirit of truth of communicating messages must remain in balance. Otherwise, the messages we will send be, will be untrustworthy or cold, right? More stoic. So I think you're going to talk about yeah. those three types. So I want to I just backtrack just a little bit. So essentially what we, what we were talking about in the first section, talking about the, the, the intention and the execution of, of what, what corporate worship sort of looks like and feels like. If you boil it all down, and you said this in, in, in some way a, a couple of times, but when you boil it all down, you're looking at the communication and response to a message, mm -hmm. right? Worshiping from the simplest, if we boiled everything that we said last week down, ends up being seeing God for who he is, how he's worked in our lives, all those kinds of things. So through the word of God, viewing who God is and then responding to it. Um, so then the whole foundation of this is, is that sight, that, that, that vi the visual or the image, right? We're trying to respond to truths about God. And so, so when we talk about corporate worship, we're talking about the communication of messages about God so that we can then respond to them, right? Um, and when it comes to communicating messages, there are a couple of principles that come into play. Like when we try to communicate with, with people, um, it's pretty easy to misunderstand one another. Um, this happens quite frequently. May or may not have happened a couple times today. Um, <laughs> but it's very, it's very hard to communicate with people and have them understand you fully. Mm -hmm. Right? I can say, I can stand up here and say, um, everybody think about a red apple. If I were to take a snapshot of everything that everybody is thinking right now, we would have six, seven, eight, nine versions of a red apple. We'd have lots of different pictures, right? But if I said, it's a red apple that's tinged with green and there's a little bit of a bite out of the right-hand side and there's probably a brown spot on the, on the bottom. It's got just a little bit of a leaf coming up, but it's brown and crinkly because it's been off the tree for a little. Suddenly, the images start to become a little bit more clear and we're gonna still have some variation but because the communication has become more specific and clearer, mm -hmm. we start to understand it better. Um, and you can do that with like physical description, but you can also do that with metaphor and things like that. You take a bite out of this apple, and it's the sweetest apple that you've ever had in your life. It's sweeter than um, cotton candy straight from the vat at the at the um, carnival or whatever. <laughs> so you start then developing a sensory image of what mm -hmm. what this apple is like that goes beyond merely, I have a red apple in my brain, <laughs> right? So that communicate, the communication needing to be specific is, is incredibly important um, and accurate. If I say I have a red apple, but what I'm actually thinking about is an orange, then none of you have the right image, right? We're all thinking very, very different things because we are not talking about even the same thing. But let's say, um, 
I want everybody to think of a pomme de terre rouge. Okay, some of you may know what I'm talking about. Some of you may not. Because we're not using the same language. We're not using the same terms. Right? I wanted everybody to think of a red potato. But you didn't know that because saying that in a different language with different terms means something different to me than it means to you. It's confusing or frustrating or, um, and we can even sometimes, this is a little more technical, but like sometimes languages have, have words that sound the same, but they mean completely different things. They're called false cognates. Mm -hmm. So when I say a word that sounds like something you may have heard from Spanish at one point in your lives, but it actually means something completely different in English. Really wonderful story about this. One of my college, um, one of my college professors um, was in, oh, I love this story so much. Um, <laughs> he was on a mission trip in a Spanish-speaking country. Oh, gosh. Um, yes, it's delightful. Yes. And he was one of those guys that was just like super over the top and just enjoyed life and was all this kind of, just was going to go for it. If there was a possibility of miscommunication, <laughs> it would probably happen with this guy because he would just barrel in. It was great. But he was a wonderful, wonderful person, really great, really great speaker, um, in English anyway. Um, so he goes into this, um, this Spanish-speaking church service, and he, in very broken Spanish, begins to say, thank you for having me here. Um, and, uh, and he then proceeded to tell them all that he was muy, muy embarazado <laughs> to be there. <laughs> which he thought meant embarrassed. It actually means pregnant. So this entire church is laughing, is like trying to hold their composure because this man from America just told them that he was very, he was very pregnant to be here. Um, which, you know, what is that? I don't know what I mean. Um, so the, the way that we communicate things is incredibly important because slight miscommunication changes the message. Mm -hmm. When we, by using terms that are unrecognizable or mean something specific to us or take them out of context, mm -hmm. we obscure the meaning of what we're trying to communicate. And it's not, I really don't think it's a far cry to say that as a, as capital big C church, as the church, we've done that with a lot of things in the scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, there are whole sects of Christianity, um, you know, I, I, wanna, I wanna say like in far-flung corners of the globe, but probably, you know, here, <laughs> maybe some of us even in this church who have a wildly different appreciation of what the gospel looks like because of a miscommunication or a misunderstanding of the basic terms of the gospel. Mm -hmm. So as worshipers, we have an incredible um, responsibility to communicate well, um, to, under, to first understand, to receive communication well, to understand the message of the gospel and see it for what it is and not equivocate terms or not um, take things out of context, but really to, to have our minds renewed and changed by the truths of the gospel and then to accurately and, effect and effectively communicate those to other, to other believers. Because in as much as we are accurate, truthful, and passionate, spiritual, our worship becomes not more pleasing to God necessarily, but more effective in 
from a human perspective. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so we really have to be careful about how we communicate. Therefore, communication we need to remember is between us and God. Um, and us and us at the same time. Right? We're, we're, we're listening to God um, and speaking to each other at the same time in corporate worship. That's what makes it different than private worship. Right, is that communication back and forth between, between believers. Um, that, communi- that the communication needs to be clear and, and as specific as it can be, even with metaphor. Um, we'll probably get into specifics yeah. about some of those, but metaphor can be really, really helpful and really, really dangerous <laughs> at the same time. Um, Anson spoke so well about this on Sunday. Mm-hmm. If you guys were here, um, he just spoke just beautifully on, on we'll how we need podcast. to work. Th- yeah, that'd be great. We put the link yeah, to the yeah, podcast awesome. on there. Yeah, it, was really, it was really, um, I was <laughs> super surprised because we were sort of talking about all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then he just started talking about all of the things that were sort of on our hearts. It was just beautiful. I was like, so you want to just listen to the podcast in the, in uh, our class thinking, this like, week? Did your, did your notes leave <laughs> no. out? Like, Must like, have something. I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I love that because he really did. Like, he was really and and you know I'll be honest I was a little convicted at times about because I because I tend to lead to lean towards let's be accurate and specific and truthful and honest and not lie and not um, not do even in, in even accidentally communicate an erroneous message about God then let's be really really precise and and the the truth of it is that we need both we right. need the precision and we'll get into this later we need the yes. precision but we also need the the emotional and the the metaphorical connection as well, which is just beautiful. So he he spoke about all that. We'll connect, we'll connect um, the or we'll link the um, podcast from Sunday to that. So that was super super cool. Um, so communication in corporate worship should be motivational because we're communicating truths about uh, about God to each other. Um, again, it's the be be. Um, change to be transformed by the renewing of your mind the changing of your mind should should um, have an outflow into your life um, and then the spirit of truth and truth number five up here the spirit and truth of communicating messages must remain in balance otherwise the messages we will send will be deemed untrustworthy and or cold so let me explain this a little bit when we're talking about um, public speaking or communi- communication in general if you go to any basic level com class communication class um, uh, which at my school, and I think it's pretty similar in most, most schools, but um, every freshman going into a college program has to take some kind of communication class because they're all like, communication is important, and all the freshmen are like, okay, whatever, dude. Um, <laughs> so um, as a part of that course, you are taught that every speaker, when they are dealing with communicating any message of, of, of any intent, you have to deal with the ethos, pathos, and logos of the situation, of the speaking event. Um, the ethos being the, the character and the persona and the presentation of the individual. The speaker has a way of communicating. The speaker has nonverbals. The speaker has their, their um, visual, like how they present themselves. They have their comportment, like how they act, those kinds of things. That speaks volumes to an audience. And this is not from a biblical perspective. We're talking like companies tell their people to do this. This is why a lot of corporations have um, uh, dress codes and things like that. It's, mm-hmm. it's about improving the ethos 
of you as a speaker or as a coworker or as a potential client. Mm-hmm. Um, so the ethos is incredibly important, but the pathos of the speaking event or of the communication of the message, the emotional content of it is incredibly important. Pathos is an emotional appeal. So when I, when I get up to present a reason why we should all have um, free soft serve in the lobby of the church at every service, I'm going to present an emotional appeal that all of our children look forlorn and they're sad. And they need something to give them the joy of the Lord. They need soft serve in the lobby. So the cookies are for. Right, yeah, but it doesn't work as well as soft serve, Jeremy. It's not the same. Breaking that down. It's just, it's the whole experience, okay? We need a photo booth and soft serve. Um, so the emotional appeal becomes, becomes part of it. Um, if you have ever, ever seen an advertisement for any pound or any. Um, uh, Adoption, adoption for, center for for okay. puppies Animals. or whatever like yeah. whatever it's straight emotional appeal so sad you should adopt this puppy why oh. look at how cute and they right? have the sad face <laughs> they're not like happy playing they're no like, no uh-uh. it's like why <laughs> why don't i live with you now <laughs> take me home <laughs> and they're always playing like some sad sarah mclaughlin oh song yes. like it's just <laughs> yes. The puppy comes up and you I will remember you. So this is this is emotional appeal. Yeah. I will haunt you in your dream. <laughs> I'm a little dark, Martha. I'm confused. Okay, alright. <laughs> but then you have the, the the logos or the intellectual appeal. Um this is this is the truth aspect, right? This is these are the facts. You should do this because Statistically, there is a severe lack of joy and appreciation for church in the hearts and minds of our children, and therefore soft serve has been proven in seven studies to increase the joy and enjoyment of church in children all across America. And long-term attendance. (laughs) Long-term attendance. (laughs) I think that might have something to do with, or something more to do with long-term health problems, but... Anyway, right, exactly. (laughs) Children's happiness increases as their risk for diabetes increases. Anyway, let's not go down that that rabbit trail. Um, Hey Ben. Yes. Thanks for pronouncing this correctly. You're welcome. So many people. I I try. I try. So anyway, you have to have. (laughs) Spell with an omicron, not a omega. (laughs) Thank you. Um, I got out nerded. This is a great day. <laughs> so what what we have to remember <laughs> what we have to remember is that every piece of communication has ethos, pathos, and logos mm-hmm. in in its in the presentation of the message inherently built into the message. And if mm-hmm. one is out of balance with the other, it does an injustice to the message. Mm-hmm. Um, when you see a purely pathetic pathos message, you feel manipulated. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the... I grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist kind of background, so like this is the one that's nearest and dearest to my heart. Um, so forgive me if this is not your experience, but the, the messages were at the end, the pastor would essentially say something like, if you want to be a better Christian, stand up. Okay. <laughs> what, they were trying, right, what they were trying to do is say, should this re- you should be responding to this, but it seemed like 
a free will response, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to give my life more fully to Christ, right? Well, what Christian is going to stay seated when someone says, right. do you want to give your life more fully to Christ? Okay, well, if you have a basic understanding of the Bible, you know that's <laughs> your entire, like, goal in life is to be right. more and more like Christ and more and more committed to him. So it becomes not, it's not a logical appeal. It's a pathos appeal. Um, it's a pathetic appeal, <laughs> in both senses sadly. of the term. Um, sadly. Um, so, and, and the same can be true for the, for the other. If you have a purely scientific response to something, a purely, a purely um, definitive response, these are all of the statistics, you, people are going to be falling asleep. There's no, there's no emotional connection. Why should I act upon that, um, that information that you've given me when... I don't connect to it at all. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with ethos. If you are the kind of person that people don't want to hear from because your comportment or your um, hopefully not appearance in, in, on, on some level because we're dealing, we're dealing with that um, as a society, like how do we evaluate what someone's appearance communicates to us and whether or not that's a, that's a, a valuable or a, or a helpful judgment to make um, because in a lot of cases it certainly has not been. Um, but when someone clearly is sending certain messages about the kind of person that they want to be, um, that ethos does come into play and affects the message. If you say mm -hmm. you should be a generous human being, but you're, you know, inappropriately dressed for the occasion in such a way that makes it seem like you are more affluent than perhaps you could be under the circumstances of being involved in whatever and again this is a very sort of like hypothetical thing but we all make those sort of micro judgments in the moment whether we should in all cases is a different story but but the principle here is that regardless of whether or not we should it happens so the messages that we are trying to communicate should be supported by all aspects, by our ethos, by our pathos, and by our logos. Otherwise, we distort the message or we confuse it and make people less likely to take it in. Um, now, again, this doesn't go against the biblical principle of God's word will never return unto him void. We're not trying to take all of the agency away from the Holy Spirit and, uh, and the gospel itself. But... On the other hand, we do have a responsibility to communicate it well. Um, so it's, it's incredibly important to keep those in mind. And while that may seem a rather academic way to look at it, the way that we act, the way that we appeal to one another in that spirit and truth balance, all of those are incredibly, incredibly important as we're communicating messages about the gospel. Um, and to me, having worked through all of that, what we... What we come upon is like all of those messages on some sense, um, this sort of is a, is a bit of a jump, but it, it comes back to the idea of communicating something well. And in my experience, certainly the most creative way, but possibly one of the most effective ways to communicate something is through the idea of a story. Um, it often has um, a logical aspect. It often has an emotional appeal. There's often like the, 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 Engagement of the storyteller is something that's fascinating. How, have you ever like just been listened to someone tell a story and just been absolutely captivated by it? Um, and I think we all, those of us who are shaking our heads, which is pretty much everyone in the room, um, you know, I think we've also had our lives changed at some point by someone telling a story. Those are, it's an incredibly powerful tool of communication. So when we're talking about creating, oh, oh that was cute. 
Um, when we're talking about, that's the indication of when I've talked too Where's long at one space? point in time. Oh, yeah, it's not there at the moment. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll see what I can do. Um, in that instance, <laughs> thank you, Jeremy. <laughs> all communication in corporate worship is, in a sense, a story. We're communicating about God, what he has done in our lives, um, what it means for us now, and what that will mean for us in the future. Um, so we have this great understanding of um, a narrative being a tool to use in, in communicating messages about the gospel. Um, and that sort of leads us to sort of break down the idea of, of a story as, as, um, as we've defined it. So if communicating effectively involves all of these aspects, and one of the best ways that we can do that is through, um, through some kind of story-like structure. And I'm using the word story in a very broad sense. I don't necessarily mean, I certainly don't mean fiction in this instance. I just mean the way that we communicate um, messages with a through line, um, something that connects all of it. Um, so we talk about uh, narrative story having a structure. It's got a beginning, a middle, and an end. This is pretty obvious. Um, we would all say that just about anything, um, any good story that we've ever heard have all, have all involved those things. I have heard a few stories that didn't have a good ending or, or perhaps an ending at all. And you sit there going, was that it? I think most of those, those stories are told by very small children. Um, and then, and then, and then running off to play. And then what? No, don't come back. I'm fine. <laughs> um, but that means more than just there is a period of time in between you say the first word and you say the end, the, the last word of the story. Something happens, it's going somewhere. There's, um, w when we are communicating this event or this idea or this thought, there's a rise and fall to it. Um, right there, um, classic diagram, if you have ever taken a story class or a theater class or literature. anything, any literature class, anything, uh, ever, you will see that diagram. It's just basically a, um, a mountain. Let's look at it as a mountain. <laughs> There's also versions of it where the, it's a triangle. It's mm -hmm. called Freytag's Pyramid, which, you know, I'm get all nerdy about it. Ben was real excited about that. Yeah, well, you know. Um, <laughs> Jeremy was using Greek earlier, so I, just, I had to get that one in there. Um, so you see that we have a basic structure to any story there. There's a... There's, Something that sort of gives us some background, then there's a, a starting point to the story, rising action till it hits a climax, there's the most important thing in the story, then there's some falling action, some resolution, um, and then which goes into the denouement, which is just Lots wonderful. of French today. Yeah, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, but like the conclusion, the wrap up, the very end of it all, right? So there's a natural rise and fall flow to, to any story, but really any communication, right? There's a point that you're trying to get to, and that's essentially the climax, mm -hmm. right? Teaching people that is a lot of fun. It is, it is, because it doesn't work very well, right? Um, especially, how many of you have ever, and I think it will be all of us, but have you ever, not just a narrative story, but had someone start to talk about a topic and never get to the point? It's excruciating. Yeah. I certainly hope that's not the case right now. It's excruciating because because you're sitting there waiting for something to happen. Like there's got to be a connection point to all of this. Right. Otherwise, why are you telling it to me? 
It's like talking um, in circles. Yeah. Right. I've known a few people who, Lord love them, have like 7,000 different points and they jump from one to the other and they don't really know where it's all going to talk. 45 minutes later, you're like, what are we even talking about anymore? I don't remember any of this. And that's the point. <laughs> I found it. Because if you don't have somewhere that you're going, you don't remember anything that's been said. Right? So, so good communication has this natural rise and fall, this natural, I'm going to start with this background information. Something's going to turn it in a different direction. It's going to build, 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 build to the point, And then I'm going to wrap up with, with some kind of conclusion. And that works for narrative story because it's, it's a, well, we'll get to this in a second, chronological, spatial, thematic, that kind of stuff. Um, like the, the logical progression of it. But it's also just the building of ideas, right? It can happen in story because that's chronological. This happened, and this happened, and this happened, and then this happened, and then, oh no, this happened, and then it suddenly led us to this point, um, which was the hardest section of the story to get through, yada, yada, that kind of thing, and then there's the resolution. But in natural conversation, idea builds upon idea. Um, complication builds upon complication. Um, truth builds upon truth until we reach the main one. Mm -hmm. And then we're left to respond or to see how that plays out. So good communication is going to have this natural flow. Um, it's going somewhere. There's a climax to what's, to what's happening. Um, it, has a, it has a logical order. Um, and these are just a few of them. But if you, again, go back to that comm class thing, there's a lot of different ways to logically organize thoughts. Um, some of us do it really well naturally. Others of us, others of us don't. Um, so it, it does behoove us a little bit to, to study what makes a, a compelling argument or a compelling story or a compelling way to communicate something, but you have things like chronological order. This happened, then this happened, then this happened. Um, spatial order, if I'm trying to describe something and I say there's a blonde colored door and there's a white marker board and there are seven chairs and then there's um, a light bulb in the center, but it's also surrounded by seven other light bulbs and there's a carpet on the floor. It's incredibly hard to put together a picture of what the room looks like. But if I describe it as, as I walk through the blonde wood door and look at the gray colored walls with the inset lighting, I see 20 or so chairs surrounding a red puzzle piece looking carpet, <laughs> right? It starts, to, it starts to mean something. You can, you can follow the progression. So a spatial order works. Um, thematic order, sort of like that, again, that building of this theme works into this theme, works into this thing. Um, Comparison contrast, kind of orders, cause and effect orders, problem solution orders. Again, there's a lot of ways of putting those things together, but essentially we get back to it has a rise and a fall, suspense and resolution, tension and release. There's always, there's always something that leads somewhere. So, let's prove it. Um, so, <clears throat> somebody come up with a, um, a story. Three little things. Three little pigs. That's great. I love it. That's a good one. Perfect. That's what I said. So, we get the three little pigs. Uh -huh. <clears throat> Is it my board? Nope. I don't know. Maybe. Let's see if this works. Okay. It's either that or Young Elevators because they have repetitive things to use in elementary school all the time. Yes. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that works. So, we go. Okay, I'll use the mountain one. Okay, so three little pigs, right? Great. So, 
the opening of the story. What are we what are we introduced to in the opening of the story of the three little pigs? Mom kicks the kids out. <laughs> Mom kicks the kids out. <laughs> this is a dark version of three little pigs. Alright, kids, go deal with the wolves. Alright, so we're introduced. They're starting their independence. <laughs> <laughs> they turn 18. This, this story turned into a metaphor very quickly. All right, so the three li- we're introduced to the three little pigs, right? Once upon a time, there were three little pigs. Even if that's only the only exposition we have, it's the beginning of the right. story, right? So then there is what's called in the theater and literature world the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. What's the thing... Yeah. Um, is that What's the thing yeah. that starts it? Okay, they build their own houses, right? So they're like, hey, let's build a house, a little housey house. And the first one, three well, houses, I guess right? they're all building yes. three houses. Yes, right? Okay. Straw, sticks, and brick. Right. And in fact, on some level, this might even be part of the exposition, the right? It gives us a setting. Oh, we're, yeah, still, yeah. we're still talking Character about setting. what's... So what really is what happens? The wolf, the wolf shows up. That's what it is. Someone has done this story a couple of times. Um, the wolf shows up, right? <laughs> So we've got this background. There are three little pigs that have three little houses. One's made out of straw, one's made out of wood, one's made out of brick. And then all of a sudden, dun, 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 the wolf shows up inciting incident. What's the one made out of metal? That's not in there. That's, there are three little pigs. The fourth pig. You want to write your own the version. The right, yeah. fourth pig saw what happened. Yeah, <laughs> no. You guys are nuts. I live in an airplane hangar. Um, <laughs> so then we have... Really, essentially, three three separate moments as the rising action, right? The wolf comes to the first little pig, the straw house. And then, huffs and puffs and blah, 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 blah. Little pig, run, 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 run away to the second house, and we have the confrontation of the second house, right? Which is wood. Yep. Right? Huffs and puffs, blow your house down. Shake, 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 yada, yada, yada. Um, <laughs> he blows it down. The two little pigs run away. Oh no, this is horrible. All right, there's only one possible last ditch effort that these three little pigs have, and it's the brick house, right? Mm-hmm. And if we were being technical with three act structure, there might be another little thing right here. It's uh-huh. Weird Greek word again, but we won't get there. Um, where things turn, and we're, and then we like sort of head towards that last moment. So, so really, the brick house probably starts here, and then when the wolf. Huffs and puffs and blows the house down, and suddenly, oh no, that didn't work. Um, he tries to climb the roof, falls in through the uh, through the uh, chimney into the pot, and then we have dead wolf. Dead wolf, right? So the climax is, oh no, the huffing and puffing and blowing the house down didn't work. I'm going to climb the roof and get at these three little pigs through the chimney that they so foolishly made, and the pigs clearly have this big cauldron full of stew that the wolf falls into wolf and stew. apparently just mm. hair and They'll all just yeah it's mm. apparently yeah. it's a thing they're, they're pigs, pigs. They are. right exactly and then uh, as is often true with a story, story like this up. i know right? <laughs> <laughs> as is often true with a story like this the the falling action or denouement is very short it sort of yeah. ends up just because like this like three hour build up and then Okay, this is the conclusion. And the triangle the needs to be more obtuse, right? Yeah. Well, actually, that's why Freytag's pyramid exists, because it looks more like that. Yeah, so, yeah. Anyway, that's nerdy. Um, so you have that, that very quick conclusion um, to a story that has built somewhere. If, if, we, if it wasn't the three little pigs and it was the infinite little pigs, this would not work anymore. Right. There's no suspense, there's no build-up, there's no last-ditch effort. There's no 
brick house. There's no climax. Right? If, I mean, I suppose it would still work if there was only one little pig, but there would need to be other things that happened. Otherwise, it was a very short, sort of uneventful story. There's no stakes build up. Um, but, but even in something as simple <coughs> as a folktale like The Three Little Pigs, it works. It's, it's a very simple formula, but something has to start things happening. Things have to happen. There has to be a point, and then you have to respond to it. Or there has to be a resolution or a settling of the, of the action. It's a very typical structure. And it can be as simple as something like this, or it can be as complicated as like outlining the themes for the three Star Wars movies, the originals. Which we'll get to themes. Clearly. Um, but, that, but that structure is essential. It works the same way for communicating... Um, ideas that aren't in what we would con consider a strict narrative structure as well, right? Um, I think of a really good example. Well, do you want to jump into how... how yeah, let's just change tax and then we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll jump back So the follow-up question there is how does knowing this, all that academic background, story mapping, what we just did, apply to a worship setting, right? Did you want to answer that since this... Uh, yeah, I mean, I think... Because you wrap up narrative. I think the key is that, whether from a creative side or from... And I guess Jeremy currently is the only one who's in, in the room who's sort of like building those kinds of stories, building those kinds of right. communications yeah. within, within a worship service or a worship gathering. But even from a... I don't want to use the term observer, but from a worshiper, worshiper standpoint, we it helps us to know that we're, that any good story, and I think we would all agree that the gospel, in all of its myriad applications, well nigh unto infinite applications, is a good story. Um, it's got to go somewhere. There's going to be a point, a focal point for us to grab onto something that that rises above the rest of the complication and gives us somewhere to hang our hats. There's a point to what's being said. And I think we'll sort of dive, dive into this in a number of different ways um, today, but essentially what we're trying to avoid is the out-of-context perspective, right? If you are listening to the story of the Three Little Pigs, and the only part of the Three Little Pigs story that you, um, that you get is the straw house version. Your only conclusion is, don't be like that little pig. That was dumb. That little pig's dead. <laughs> right? Straw is a horrible building material. <laughs> Choose another path. Which is a good lesson. Right? right. It helps. It's, I mean, it's, it's accurate. It, it, can, right? it can be helpful, but that's not the story. That's not the message of the story, right? That's not the whole that's picture. That's not the whole, the whole picture. Um, and too often... We pull things out of context, even within scripture itself, and we read a part of it. My favorite example of this is all things work together for good to them that are, are called according to his purpose. Or to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Okay, we read that passage, um, and we say, everything's going to work out. It's all good. God's got me. It's I know that one of these days, I'm going to understand it all. I'm going to get through it all. My wife's going to come back to me. My uh, career's going to take a rebound. All this kind of stuff is going to be good because I love God. 
Right, right. It's the country song played backwards effect. <laughs> but that's not the message of scripture in its entirety. It's not even the message of that passage of scripture because if you need right. read the very next word or the very next verse, you know that the object of the idea of them that are called according to his purpose, his purpose is to make them more like his son. Mm-hmm. Right, which often involves inherently sacrifice and pain and, pain and heartache. It's not... It's not this happy-go-lucky message. It's something almost exactly the opposite. <laughs> one of my one of my best friends from college. Um, we, were talking, we were we were standing around talking about the disciples one day, um, as you do in Bible college. Um, and he he looked over at me and was like, "Well, it's not exactly like Jesus walked up to his twelve apostles and said, "Come follow me. It's all going to be wonderful." It was probably more along the lines of, "Follow me. This may end badly." <laughs> and it did for most of them, yeah. right? Most of them were killed or exiled or something right. for their faith and for, for naming the name of Christ. <clears throat> but we don't get that if we only read half the story. If we only read all things work together for good. Mm-hmm. And if we tattoo that on our arms and we raise that as our banners, is it untrue? No, but not in the way that you're looking at it, mm-hmm. Mike. Knowing the whole story is incredibly important because the climax of the story came a verse later. And we missed it because we weren't paying attention. We were just pulling out individual themes, which is mm. the next element of what we're talking about, um, themes. Right. So besides looking for a story as you walk into a worship service, like, where is this all going? Um, we also look for themes. So what are the main ideas that you're trying to communicate? It's incredibly easy to go in when you hear a worship song, especially the ones that you know very well, and just like autopilot, autopilot, right? Not really digest the big ideas. Um, for example, like when you hear songs about like sovereign over us, the sovereignty of God, like what's the centerpiece? What's the main idea? Are we talking about the power of God, like the holiness of God? Holy, 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 right? What are the big questions that you're trying to ask? Uh, you know, is there a reflection there? Like this song is all about how um, trustworthy God is. Will I trust him with this situation in my life? Like what are the difficult questions that come from the songs? What are the feelings or emotions that you want your hearers, this is talking about from like a worship leader's perspective, to walk away with, or, or what should you walk away with? Um, some songs you hear and you are just broken and you're humbled and you think, and maybe the cross was the centerpiece of the story and you just remember and recount all the, the gruesome, awful details of Christ going to the cross and you're grateful, right? Like there's an emotion there. What what feelings or emotion is the song trying to get you to? And all those things along with, in, in addition to story, are really important as you go in. Again, it's like you're a student as you kind of enter into a worship song. What are the themes, right? What are the big questions? It feels very academic, but it's gonna help you connect. Um, especially if you're more leaning towards the truth side, this may be easier for you. But this will actually lead you to, I think, to help you balance with the spirit side as well. So their themes and storyline, both are really important. And then as well, the other piece we can look at in order to move from consumer to worshiper is the presentation of it, which is a little tricky. Right, so we we talked about a good story, a narrative story has a structure, it has themes that are going to be, like there's a point to it, right? There's a, uh, it would be a lot of what we call the, the uh, moral of the story, those kinds of things. What's the, what is the underlying message that the story seems to be trying to communicate? But then there's also a way to present it. Um, and oftentimes it includes things like figurative language. And if you're not, atu- this seems really self-explanatory, but it's sometimes not. Um, so 
if you're not in tune with what the figurative language of scripture means, there's a lot of jargon that comes into play. Mm-hmm. Um, and if, if you're taking some of that jargon literally, it can be a little confusing. Um, but also that just illustrates that there are ways to communicate the truth of the gospel in, in colorful ways. Um, a, a song that comes to mind specifically, and again, we're not talking about just music, we're also talking about a lot of other things, but a song that comes to mind is um, Break Every Chain. Right? We've sung that in our, at church a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it doesn't mean that you cry anathema as you're walking down the Home Depot aisle that has all the chains because there are still chains that are not broken. Like, that's not the point. It's not like everything is going to be dis- destroyed. It's that metaphorical, the, the things in my life that hold sway over me, the sins that so easily beset us, those kinds of things, ultimately, perhaps not even in this life, but ultimately, um, through the gospel and, the, and uh, sanctification and ultimately glorification when Christ comes back or when we join him um, in eternity, all of those chains are broken. Right? And it's, it's great to have those kind of metaphors as long as we use them well and, and in, in a way that's both um, colorful and accurate. And we understand um, them well. Right, exactly, yeah. and we understand them well. Um, it also can involve symbols and motifs. Um, this is just the stuff, that, the pictures that, keeps com- that keep coming back. Um, you know, for... for uh, <laughs> there's a really fun um, video sort of making fun of modern worship music just a, just a little bit. Um, <laughs> you gotta watch it. Yeah, it's okay. Um, <laughs> no, it was like, there's a there's a, a moment, there's a, like a bunch of recording artist guys, and it's a John Christ and a couple other guys uh, like that. Yeah. So in there, it's like, all right, we're gonna have you as a recording artist come into this group, and you're totally gonna re-record Oceans. We're gonna let you re-record Oceans. It's gonna be great. More water references. <laughs> there's lots and lots of water, okay? <laughs> Let's talk about all the water. So sometimes there are those thematic elements that keep coming back, and that can be a really unifying element of, of a good story is to have those kinds of themes that recur. Um, uh, even even in Three Little Pigs, you've got like the building kind of idea and the, the huffing and the puffing. That's an image that keeps coming back. Those those kinds of things. There's there's repeti- there's repetition to tie the story together. It'd be a little weird if you know the wolf huffed and puffed for the straw and then set the wood one on fire and then used a jackhammer on the on the brick. It might have been more effective, but it doesn't tie the story together very well. The, the wolf has one tool. Um, <laughs> So knowing how those themes work together and how those symbols keep coming back um, is, is a really important aspect of, of expressing all of that information. Um, and putting together a, a good story. Um, I think we just move to the next section. Um, but before we, before we do that, I just want to say specifically that, um, that that metaphorical language and and the symbols Mm -hmm. is a really big deal Mm -hmm. for us as believers. We talked about this a little bit last week, but in the Old Testament, worship was prescribed down to the letter. Like, what you wore, how long things took, what hours of the day you were supposed to do them. And then in the New Testament, you sort of see Christ say, I didn't come to abolish it, I came to fulfill the law. But at the same time, all of those forms are actively fought against by the apostles. Um, even down to the point where, um, you know, Peter 
uh, comes to uh, a home in the Galatian church and sits down with a bunch of um, Gentiles to eat dinner with them. Right? But then some believers from Jerusalem show up, and so Peter gets up and starts walking off and goes to sit with all his Jewish friends. And Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 no. The language in the scripture is, I withstood him to the face. He like stood up and like got in his face and was like, this is not what we believe. Right? So there's this active like rejection of that, of that real prescriptive, these are, all, these are the only ways that you can worship God kind of thing. Um, and there's a whole sort of principle of worship built off of that called the, um, the regulative principle of, of um, understanding scripture and things like that, where it basically says if the Bible doesn't say it, you can't do it. Um, and some people believe that, some people don't, but the, the point is that if we were talking about metaphor and symbol and all this kind of stuff, the Christian church is sort of, that's what we have to use to illustrate the truths that we understand. Mm -hmm. Right? It's not the only thing that we hang our hats on, but if we're also responding in passion and in, in, in an emotional response, there's, some, there's something like that called from us, then we have this opportunity to spark a creative response and to communicate in words that are not just dry truth. Not that the truth is dry, but that our presentation of the truth could be basic and elemental. Mm -hmm. so, so having that opportunity, we see liturgies emerging all throughout the history of the church, some of them more or less helpful than others, but like this creative expression of what the gospel looks like and how it plays out comes into play because we have that opportunity um, to communicate through symbol, to communicate through metaphor, to communicate because uh, we get ourselves in trouble when we try to put God in too much of a box that he doesn't put himself in because there's a lot of paradox. There's a lot of things about... Um, about God that we aren't going to understand on some level, but it's our job to dive into them as much as we possibly can and learn as much as we can and grow as much as we can. So there's, there's, there's that whole aspect of it as well. So turning towards a little bit more of the practical, how do you take all of this knowledge that we learned about narrative and story and themes and images? I mean, it's a complex thing, right? Um, the first place to start um, would be to work on, as you enter the worship service, identifying the narrative story, this, the storyline of the worship service. This really helps you start getting into that mode of, okay, I'm not just, you know, often we just view our songs as like, oh, this is a song, I know that song. Oh, this is a random song, I like that song. Like, we organize everything in our mind, right? Well, we, like, turn, on and our, we, don't remember. we turn on and off our worship Right. Depending on whether or not, that was air quotes, by the way, um, depending on whether or not right. we like a song or appreciate a, right. a specific style or whatnot. And then at the end of the service, you know, ask someone, what songs did you sing? Oh, you sang that song that I really like. What's that called? What was the first song you sang? Uh, I don't really remember. Right? Like, we're not going into it as an active idea of where's the storyline and what is the most important message? Like, where is the ark and where are we on the ark? At what point, right? So presentation, what am I hearing being repeated? What words, concepts, or images keep coming up? Um, because we, we know that we are really blessed to be at a church where the storyline is formed by pastors and elders and great leaders that are together working to do this, we know that these songs aren't randomly thrown together in a random order. We know that this presentation or this choice of scripture here is very important and if you understand a story you realize important things are at certain points in the storyline right like we said with the climax 
So if we go into it looking like, okay, I, I hear a little bit of a theme here. This first song talked a lot about God's faithfulness. I wonder what, where we're going with this. And you start thinking, and as you kind of progress through the sermon, then you, see, you begin to see themes emerge, you begin to see, and you get a much more beautiful, much more rich picture of a whole service, more as a story, unless of just random pockets of information about God. And it becomes something that you can connect to so much more easily. Talk about trying to struggle from going from uh, a place of truth to spirit. Start attaching a story to facts and it starts becoming alive and something that's moving and something that causes you to be moved, right? So that's a good place to start. We look at not only the images, the structures, how are these images being communicated um, and the themes. And this is where I have found for me personally, kind of like the most unlocking of freedom of deeper connection and worship. As we're going in as students, looking for the stories, looking for the themes, we ask what are the questions that are being asked? What are the emotions that the song or the scripture or this teaching are provoking? What are the messages that I'm left with in that last little reaction period, especially, right? What's that? The denouement? Is that how you say it, right? What are some of those things? Identify them. Like you have to actively look for them, right? And listen for them. But then the part that really helps us lean into the spirit side of things is personalizing them. So it's one thing to sing about the faithfulness of God. God, you are so faithful, you never fail me. Right, beautiful, that's great. In that moment, if you're struggling to connect, ask yourself, how was God faithful to me this week? In what area am I being unfaithful to him? Right, it becomes no longer just this distant thing about God, about God. Now I reflect on the character of God, who he is and who I'm not, and who I am falling short terribly. And if you, if you struggle to connect emotionally, this can be one of the most helpful things. There are times when there's a song that I maybe don't even know very well, but there's a certain phrase, and I'm sure you've experienced this before, where you hear a certain phrase and instantly the memory of something that happened in your life comes. And maybe you recall like a tragedy, or maybe you recall a time when um, you remember how God delivered you from a difficult situation. Um, or he kept you safe from something. When we connect those experiences to a truth about God, how can we not react in passion? Because it's no longer a distant thing. It's, I've experienced the faithful of God. I've experienced how holy and beautiful God is to me. Now it becomes less of an academic pursuit and more of a connected um, understanding rich experience. And I think we can all connect to the idea that when something became personal to us, that's when we wanted to share it. Mm -hmm. mm. Right? Like, if it's not, if it, if it is merely experiential, like, you walk out, you see the worship pastor, you say, that was real good today. But when something becomes personal, you go out to lunch and you talk to people about it. Mm -hmm. And you, you share it, and it becomes it becomes your standard illustration for a certain truth for months, maybe years. <laughs> right. It impacts you in a much bigger way when you're able to not just look at a look at a theme and say I know that, but you say you look at a theme and say that's for me in this specific area. Right. Um, and I think also the order of that is important mm -hmm. as well. Um, this is sort of why the whole. To me, the whole understanding of 
a worship gathering as a story or, or, or the communication of a message in a corporate gathering as a story is important because we have way too many opportunities to start with the theme. And I don't, I don't mean that negatively other than we look at, we, we go into a service and we start, uh, we start hunting and pecking for themes, right? Like you, we're, the sort of mental images, we're walking down the beach with our metal detector looking for little <laughs> things that people have dropped by. What's in this day? What's in this beach for me? Right. Right? What can I find that I can take home that can be my little nugget? Well... Mm. You've got a whole beach to enjoy and experience and and breathe in and and have it give you some kind of refreshment and the you know the the metaphor starts to break down a little bit at that point but if we're out just looking for the the little themes that we can tuck away one we miss out on the big picture yeah we miss out on the whole story because we got these little things that we sort of tucked away and we're like, okay, I'll remember that. Is it bad to find those little things? Absolutely not. It's good because again, that's, that's scripture, right? We're not, we're not rejecting those ideas. But when, well, let me just use this as an illustration. Okay, everybody take one of these. Do me a favor and um, these are two songs that we used this past Sunday. Um, just take it real quickly and fold it down the middle so that the two, the two songs are separated. Hot dog style for teachers. Hot dog style. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway. All you teachers. Hot dog for hamburger. Grab a And grab I thought this was you were going to analyze the way we folded the paper. <laughs> <laughs> this this oh, communicates man, a lot. We were filming you. People are like this. <laughs> <laughs> this communicates a lot about how you are. Yeah. Don't yeah. break the words up. <laughs> <laughs> That's so, so psychoanalytical. I love it. Wow. All right. So wow. real quickly, turn to yes, I will. That side that is yes, I will. Try not to look at the other one for a minute. Mm -hmm. um, and I want you to go through and just real quickly, we don't have time to digest it, but I want you to real quickly go through and circle the words or phrases or underline or whatever you need to do to sort of point out the things that really connect to you, the things that are meaningful to you. Um, yeah, I went around with pens. Oh, oh, I missed so, it. So, like, circle, circle the words or phrases or underline or do whatever you need to. Take about two or three minutes and just digest that piece, the lyrics of that piece. Now, if we were to go all out here, the music also communicates something, but let's, let's stick with the lyrics for now. All right, just popcorn style. Tell me, tell me what the song means. What does Yes, I Will, what does that communicate to you? Cause and effect. Okay. Because God is this or does this, I will. Mm -hmm. And it's all the verbs of what you will do. Okay, cool. So this, the, the, the main theme out of this is that, that response. Like, I've got something to communicate. Now, there, there are things given specifically. I count on one thing. God never fails. God never changes. God's never late. That kind of thing. And the response is because of his, um, his ever-presence and his um, immutability, we praise him. Right, it's a very, it's a pretty simple truth, right? Well, it, it, it's but complex at the same time. It's it's a, it's um, being compelled because of yes. these things. I'm compelled to respond this yes. way. Mm -hmm. and and yes, I will over and over again. Yeah. That's what I'll do. I and right. even like and and it has those two. It has two ideas too. It's com it's it's a compelling. Like I must do this. So yes, I will. But then it's also in the bridge. It talks about I choose to praise. 
right. choose to glorify. So there's there's sort of both. Like I'm compelled to do this but by the mercies of Christ, but I also choose to do this on, on some kind of on some level. Okay. All right. Wonderful. Love that. That connects. Those are some major themes. Now flip to the other one. And without without thinking too much about it, just do the same thing for this piece. What a beautiful name. Same thing, popcorn style. What what message is being communicated to you? <clears throat> what are the themes? What are the big big picture items that come out of this? The first stanza is where he was. And the second one is where he came. And the last one is what he accomplished. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is a very clear, like, even yeah. even chronological, chronological progression uh-huh. of the things that Christ did. Yeah, absolutely. What else? Yeah, I see that beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. Even more so, like, the God the Father, and then God sent his Son, mm-hmm. and God the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. and kind of leading mm-hmm. into those. Yeah, there's That's even a Trinitarian yeah, yeah. breakdown yeah. of it all, too. That's great. What else? Mm-hmm. I love the, that, that the... Um, that the the view of the name of Christ keeps changing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It starts mm-hmm. as something beautiful mm-hmm. and turns into something wonderful, which which seems a little bigger. It's somehow a little bit a little bit mm-hmm. more inclusive. Right. Beautiful is like that can be subjective, yeah. right? I can look at something and mm-hmm. think it's beautiful. You don't have to look at it and think it's beautiful. Something that's wonderful is truly like foundationally good. It like inspires wonder. Right. right? There's the a, real world. Right. You look at mm-hmm. it and you wonder at it. And yeah. then something that is powerful forces you down mm-hmm. and makes you say that it is amazing. It makes you say that there's something. And that's the progression of who who Christ is and what he did as as I get to know him better, as he procru- he shows himself more to mm-hmm. me, I'm sort of moved into that position of mm-hmm. response. One, by, by adoring it and, and loving it and thinking that it's beautiful. We talked about the C.S. Lewis um, talking about the things that we adore, we praise. Mm-hmm. Right? So we, we, it's beautiful, and then it becomes wonderful, and we're in awe of it. And then the wonder turns into, I can't even look at or handle what this means. Mm-hmm. It's, it's something that must be responded to. Mm-hmm. So individually, those two songs have very different messages. Right. On, on some level, right? Like you, or at least very different perspectives. Mm-hmm. Um, the first is about our personal experience with the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. The, the latter is a response idea. And both, in and of themselves, have wonderful things to say to us. Mm-hmm. But for a moment, let's put them into a story. And we start... It's about to be really impacting, and then I just messed it up. It starts with, in the beginning was the word. And, and that word is beautiful. And we move into understanding that, that that beautiful name, that beautiful word from the beginning, um, even though our sin corrupted it, wanted to find restitution and wanted to find eternity with us even 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 to the point of saying that he didn't want eternity to be without us which is unfathomable as we are created beings who have rebelled against him in 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 our weakness and in our our sinfulness but that restoration turns into a response of wonder how can something that beautiful want me 
unworthy as I am, that, that, that wonder, in so much as he went to the point to, to come and to be incarnate in, in, in the body of one of his creation, in, to become man, and then to find victory over death um, through the cross and his resurrection from the cross, um, or excuse me, resurrection from the grave, and that displaying power and, and, and an immense control over, over all things. And then we, we've looked at the name of Jesus. This is not necessarily the name of Yahweh that we're talking about, although Trini you know, speaking according to the Trinity, that's, that's also true, but we're talking about the name of Jesus. And that response leads us to something like Philippians Two, where he says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's anything to be found here, any comfort and love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by become, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy all my days. Yes, I will. Because I've seen the beauty and the wonder and the power of your name. And then I hear a word from God the Father himself saying that that name that I found beautiful in that moment because of what he's done for me, not out of any merit of my own, but because of its own, its own merit, is now the name above every name. And it should change every aspect of my life in so much that I consider the people around me to be better than myself because than myself because of the way Christ treated me. I'm to respond. I'm to change. I'm to bow the knee. And our response can only be, yes, I will. And in that connection of, of the message of one song, a scripture, and then another song, we've got this beautiful story arc that makes us walk away and say, I got some stuff to fix. Not because I must be perfect, but because I'm compelled and I choose to bow the knee. And that, I'm not saying that inherently those individual songs or those individual scriptures don't have that same motivational power. But when you put them together in an effectively communicated story, where the congregation gets to involve themselves in passionately singing and hearing and perhaps even reading aloud a text and then walking away from all that and going to the communion table. Mm -hmm. The symbolism is overwhelming if we're willing to listen to it, mm -hmm. if we're willing to watch it, if we're willing to take it in. So 
we are compelled at the end of all this to say, I can never go into another corporate worship gathering just hunting and pecking for things to get me through my week. This, the word and the name of Christ is so much more powerful than a trinket in the sand off the beach. It means so much more than that. If we're willing to step back and say, not what can I get from this, but what is the big picture? What is the story that God is creating that I can see here? And you're going to find some people putting together messages well. And other churches, other situations, perhaps the people not putting together a story as well as could be expected. But if you go into every corporate worship setting knowing that God's story is at play and making those connections yourselves and looking for the for the bits and pieces of things that tie into the story that you have experienced and the story of scripture as you've studied it out day in and day out throughout the week, it connects to a much bigger story than even that one, that one gathering can convey. And they all become, become themes and elements and pieces that cause us to say things like, yes, I will, for the rest of our lives. So we look at the corporate worship gathering and it's not just choose songs that make people happy or choose scriptures that are from the Psalms or even things that are going to make us, you know, get up and dance or tap our feet or whatever, or make us somber because there are, you know, we'll talk about more of that later, but like there's not one emotional response to be had here. It's understanding as much truth as possible and responding with as much passion as possible within the story of the gospel. And that is expressed in so many ways. Um, so yeah, story is really important when it comes to understanding our jobs in corporate worship because it's not just about getting something. When we can personalize it and we can understand it on this macro level, then we go out and talk about it because it means so much more when we understand more of it. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Anybody have any questions? Okay. Well, thank you. Uh, do you. Do you have anything you want to wrap up real, with real quick? I think we're... Okay. Thank you guys for coming again this week. We hopefully will see most of you back, back next week. Perhaps we'll get some of our campers back. Um, would someone... Yeah, would you mind closing us in prayer, honey? Yeah, I'll close us in prayer. Um, God of the universe... <clears throat> As you have deemed to come down to earth, you have deemed to come down and meet us in a room of 10 or so folks just yearning for more of a connection to the bigger story that you've written over time. Would you enrich us in the ways that we walk into the worship service? Would you help us to search for um, not just things to tuck away for ourselves of personal little takeaways, but instead, God, would you help us to step back and say, what are you doing here, God? What is my role in this? Would we look for not just little whispers of you, but would we zoom out and have the perspective and have the wisdom? And Lord, would you fill us with your spirit so that we see the beautiful story arc that you have written, the story, the creator, the author, the best story writer that we could ever imagine has created for us. And would we in turn receive the truth 
would we express back our passion to you? Would it edify and build up the church? In your holy name we pray. Amen.